today we want to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to land this morning. And um, we have been in this new series the last couple of weeks um, called Shooting Straight about Parenting. And just trying to learn a little bit about what God's Word says to us as parents or grandparents or friends of parents. Um, that we can come alongside each other and do this together as a church family as well. And uh, I just want to just be a little transparent with you this morning. Um, I kind of had a little bit of a freak out moment this week. Uh, because we had our first middle school parent meeting. How is it that I have a middle schooler as of next fall? Um, it's, it, it's crazy. We, I was thinking back this week, when we moved back to St. Louis to plant this church, Eliana was just starting kindergarten. And I got a picture here of me and the girls. We had, when we had just moved back, we went to our first Cardinals game with them. You can see how little they were there. And um, it just is kind of a shocking reminder uh, that you've probably heard this before, that the, the days are long, amen, parents, um, but the years are short, and um, they go by quick, and we have a small window uh, where we get to influence our kids, and we want to make the most of the time that we have with them so we can shoot them out as arrows unto the Lord, and uh, we want to talk more about that today as well. So just a little bit of a review to catch you up if you've maybe missed the last couple of weeks, We started in Psalm 127, learning that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, right? So uh, we can't do it on our own parents, right? We need the help of the Lord. We need him uh, working in us and through us and using us as his tools to build the house and to build the hearts of our children. Um, We then also learned from Psalm 127 that parenting is war, okay? And that our kids are arrows, uh, they're not the enemy, they're the arrows that we're supposed to be using to fight against the enemy as we prepare them to go into battle for the Lord. And we, the parents, are the warriors, uh, the weapons in the hands of God uh, for this battle with our children. And then we moved into Psalm 128 and looking at what does it take for our family, for our kids to be blessed. And uh, that very clearly said that those who are blessed by the Lord are those who fear the Lord and those who walk in his ways. So parents, how do we do that? How do we get our kids to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways? Well, Ephesians 6.1 helps us with that through the tools of discipline and instruction. We spent a lot of time last week kind of looking at this kind of two-part, um, this, these two tools for parenting, discipline and instruction, or discipline and love, and looking at how do these things work together. And, and we looked at four different types of parents, and you know, we don't want to be the authoritarian parents. We don't want to be the permissive parents. We want to be the gospel-centered parents parents who are leading our kids with high love and high discipline. And, um, and then I gave you this verse last week, just kind of a little provocative uh, thing, uh, teaser for this Sunday. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So we're going to talk a little bit about the rod today, but here's the main thing I want you to see as we walk through the scriptures. Loving parents provide loving discipline. That the scripture is very clear about that over and over again. I'm going to show you lots of verses today that show this concept that loving parents provide loving discipline, and hopefully we're going to learn how to do that and to get some handles on that for ourselves uh, today as well. So, in the scriptures, Hebrews chapter 12, here we go, verse 5. That's where I want to start. It says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved. So let's pause there for a second. 
the very first part here of verse 5 tells us, um, don't forget, right? Because evidently the author thinks that there are some things that we tend to forget about God, right? I think that's true for us, right? As we're kind of walking through our daily lives, we tend to forget certain things sometimes about who God is. Um, we rarely forget that God is high in love, right? Like we're, we're all over the God is love thing. That's, that seems to be really crystal clear for us. But sometimes we forget that God is also high in discipline, right? And that's what he's pressing on here. That's why it goes to that next part of verse 5, right? And, and in, your, in your Bibles, does it, does it have the text bracketed there in the second part of verse 5, like kind of pushed in? I mean, I don't, I don't, those of you on the iPhone, does it bracket it on the iPhone? I don't know if it does it on the iPhone. In, in printed Bibles, they used to print the Bibles, um, they actually bracket the text so they, they can show you that there's a quote here, specifically an Old Testament quote from, uh, Pro, uh, from Proverbs, 3, 11, and 12, which says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. So that's what the author doesn't want us to forget, that the Lord disciplines his children. And we're going to see that word discipline eight times in this text, very clearly signaling what we're talking about today, right? And so what I want you to understand about the word discipline is this, that the word discipline is actually related to a word that we use a lot around here, which is discipleship, right? It's the same root, disciple, discipleship, discipline, because discipline is actually a form of discipleship. It's one of the tools, it's one of the things that God uses to shape us into disciples of Jesus Christ and that we can use to shape our kids in terms of discipleship. And so they go hand in hand. Uh, in fact, I would challenge that you can't be a disciple of the Lord without being disciplined by the Lord. All right, they, they are one in the same. And I think you're going to see that here in the, in the further uh, part of Hebrews. So keep going in verse 6. It says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God disciplines us because he loves us. Right? Hand in hand. And so here's the first thing I want you to do. The first point today for you is this. God disciplines everyone of his children as an act of love. God disciplines every one of his children as an act of love. It says right there, God chastises every son, right? In other words, all God's kids are getting it, all right? Like, this, like you can just prep yourself right now, like this is the way he operates because he loves us, he wants to bless us, and he knows to do that, he has to discipline us in the ways of the Lord. God is a loving God, but God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. It's a love that comes and loves us enough to draw us into his word, to draw us into his truth, to help us grow in Christ's likeness, not just make us feel good about ourselves. Now, for some of you, what I just said there, what Hebrews just said there, explains exactly why your life is so hard, right? Some of you are like, why am I always out of money, right? Why is all my stuff always breaking? Well, partially that's because you have kids, but there's other reasons too, like, why is it that I have all these health problems? Why is it that my relationships always end in conflict? Why is my life always in constant chaos and turmoil and pain? Have you ever thought that maybe it's the discipline of the Lord. 
And if you would stop disobeying the Lord, he would stop disciplining you. Sometimes we don't want to think that the consequences that we're suffering, that we're walking through, are actually a direct result of something we've done. But if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be sure that some of the pain in your life is disciplined from the Lord, and he's trying to teach you something and to move you towards obedience in him. Others of you are like, my God, I don't, I don't track that, because honestly, I disobey God all the time, and my life's just fine. Like, I don't, I'm not in pain. I'm not having any problems. I'm good. That's an even bigger problem, actually. Because if you're walking in disobedience to the Lord and you're not being disciplined, you know what that means? You're not one of his kids. Which is a whole other level of scary. Because God disciplines every one of his children. God spanks every one of his children. How many of you have ever gotten spanked by God before? Can we just say, uh, don't be ashamed. I put your hand out. That's a good thing. That shows that you are a child of God, right? If you have not gotten spanked by God, we need, you need to have a little conversation with the Lord to make sure that you're one of his children. This is evidence of salvation, right? God shows that he loves you when he disciplines you. Now, What's interesting about the Lord's discipline in our lives is that it ties directly into the gospel. And this is so important. I'm going to blow some of your minds right now, okay? But listen to this. If you are God's child, God does not punish you for your sin. Some of you are like, I knew it. I knew if I came to this church long enough, the pastor would lose it and say something crazy and heretical, like... Hold on. Everybody knows God punishes sin. That's who God is. God, like, God has to punish sin. He's holy. Like, hold on. Do we or do we not believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin? Do we believe that? Right? If we're followers of Jesus Christ. Likewise, do we believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross and took that punishment, he took the punishment for all of my sin. Yes. And so if that is true, do you understand that if God punished you for even 1% of one of your sins, that the only punishment that he could offer that would be just and right would be hell. And the fact that you are saved from that through Jesus Christ shows that God doesn't punish you for your sin. In fact, he can't punish you for your sin if you're a follower of Christ because he's already punished Jesus for your sin, and to punish your sin twice would be unjust. It would make him not God. God doesn't punish believers. He doesn't punish his children. He disciplines them. There's a difference. Punishment is punitive, right? It's it's bringing weight against someone because they've done something wrong, and you want them to feel the pain of that. Discipline is corrective. It's redemptive. It's not, made, it's not meant to make you experience pain, although sometimes it is painful. It's meant to draw you back to Christ, to draw you back to the Lord and back to his word. 
And so God disciplines every one of his children. And if you've been disciplined by the Lord, it proves that you're one of his kids because God doesn't discipline the devil's kids. Okay, by the way, that's your only choices, okay? You're either God's kid or you're the devil's kid. So again, you might want to figure that out if you're not on that yet. We'd be happy to help you do that. But if you're feeling the discipline of the Lord, that's a good thing because it shows that you're one of his kids. Okay, point number two today. God expects every parent to lovingly discipline every one of their children. All right, if we're going to be like God the Father, we're going to follow him. Our job is to discipline just as he disciplines. So look at verse 7. The writer of Hebrew talks about this here. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? All right, so there's a question, right? And, and again, if we go back to grammar class, that is what we call a rhetorical question. In other words, the answer is so obvious that they don't even have to supply it in the text. Right? What son is there that their father does not discipline them? And the obvious answer is none. Because that's the job of a father, right? To discipline their children. And yet, I'm afraid we might have some parents here today that aren't disciplining their children. And you think that you are light on discipline because you love your child so much, but God's word says that you're light on discipline because you don't love them enough to do the hard thing, to do what's best for them even though it's painful. And so he goes on, look at verse 8. If you, left without, if you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So again, just driving home that point, like, if there's no discipline, then you're not a child of that parent. Discipline is a sign that your parents love you, that they're taking responsibility for you, that they're caring for you, that they're, they want what's best for you, just like God does for us. And so we're going to see here in this last part of Hebrews that loving discipline is essential for training children in three things, respect, holiness, and righteousness. All right, I'm going to say it again. Loving discipline is essential for training children in respect, holiness, and righteousness. Let me show it to you in the text. All right? First of all, does anybody want more of that in their home? Anybody, anybody could go for a little bit more respect in your home this week? All right, parents? Anybody want a little more righteousness out of your kids? Okay, here's what it says. Look at it, verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? You see, discipline leads to respect if it's done right. And that's key. Right? Um, again, let's just do a quick show of hands. How many of you here were spanked by your parents when you were a kid? Who got spanked? Okay. All right. How many of you should have got spanked more than you did? All right. Yeah, that's me for sure. 100%. Okay. Um, how many of you did not, actually, don't answer that. Um, we, don't, we already know who you are. You don't even have to raise your hands, okay? Um, but those of you who got spanked by your parents, how many of you respected them more because they disciplined you like that? How many of you are grateful now as an adult that your parents disciplined you like that? 
you're proving the text. This is God's word coming true right in our midst, right? That godly, loving discipline leads to respect in the home. It's a good thing. Look at it, it keeps going in verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time. All the parents said, short time, right? Like we, we don't have long. We have a small window in which, in, in, in which to reach our child's heart for the Lord. So they this was for a short time, keep going, as it seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Discipline leads to holiness as we learn to submit and to obey the words and the, and the teachings of the Lord. And our kids, the same. So respect, holiness, keep going in verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So discipline is painful rather than pleasant. All right, That should be a big revelation for you. Um, how many of you ever said to your, your kids, um, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Okay. Don't say that. Right? The, kid, the kid's like, oh yeah, you think so? You want to trade? Like, you want to trade positions and we can just test that theory out? Kids don't get that logic. Right? It's not, it's not more or less. It's painful for both. It is, for, it is painful for parents to, to discipline their kids because we don't want to. We don't want to cause, we, don't, we wanna, don't want to put that pain on them. It does hurt us. It should hurt us because we love our kids. But it's painful for both. But it says here it's painful rather than pleasant for a time, right? For a short time. But later, right, it will produce righteousness. Painful now but righteousness later. That's what we're going for. Some of your parents are like, I'm waiting for the later. I guess still, still looking for later. Hopefully it's still coming down the road. It is. God's word says it is. Okay? So loving discipline is worth the pain. Parents, you need to know this. It's painful in the moment, but it's worth the pain because it brings respect and holiness, and righteousness into the life of our kids. It brings them up in the ways of the Lord. Both of my parents, interestingly enough, have come to me separately different times and apologized for their parenting. They both thought that at various times that they were too hard and too strict and, and spanked too much and, and thought that they were overboard on some things, and I was just like, are you serious right now? <laughs> I deserved all of that and more. Believe me, like you don't even know the half of it. Um, and, and, and they, I can assure you that I am so thankful, I am so grateful that they were, that they disciplined me, that they spanked me when I was young, that they disciplined me in other ways as I got older, that they stayed on that because that is what led me to the ways of the Lord. It's what led me to grow in these areas of righteousness and holiness and not perfectly, but progressively. Right? Loving discipline is worth the pain. So, if I'm going to make that statement, if God's word's going to make that statement, I think it would probably be helpful for all the parents in the room 
if we define specifically, what are we talking about when we say loving discipline, right? Because it's a, it's a hot topic. I can, stop, I can step in a lot of potholes right here, okay? So let me give you a long definition, detailed definition of loving discipline. And I'm going to break apart each piece because it's all very important, okay? Here we go. Here's the definition. A measured amount of momentary pain supplied by a loving parent in response to rebellion by a child to offset the momentary pleasure of sin and rescue them from a lifetime or eternity of self-inflicted pain. All right, let's break that apart. Loving discipline, first of all, it's a measured amount. All right? It's, it's not all the pain that you can inflict on the child. All right? It is a measured amount of pain. It should be... Um, appropriate for the age of the child. It should be appropriate for the offense that has been done. Um, a measured amount means that there are times where mom can measure dad and be like, hey, why don't you let me take this one? <laughs> right? you, need, you need a breath? Or there can be times where dad needs to measure mom and, and we do the tag team thing, right? So it doesn't get out of hand because it needs to stay as a measured amount of momentary pain right, momentary, when, when there is no discipline in the house, maybe you've experienced this, maybe you've seen this, there's just like this ongoing, constant, low-grade misery that pervades the home for 20 years because there's no start and end to the disobedience. There's no start and end to the discipline. When there's disobedience, when there's rebellion, there's a momentary discipline. So there's a starting point, and then there's an ending point, and once the discipline is over, we then reconcile the relationship, and we bring the child back into loving grace with the, with the parent, and we move forward with happy lives, rather than just this constant grind of pain for everyone involved, okay? Measured amount of momentary pain. The pain could be physical, especially when they're younger, could be um, technological, could be social, could be, there's lots of ways, all right, to inflict pain. The sky is the limit, parents. You just have to figure out what makes your child tick and then take it away, okay, or press on it. And so momentary pain supplied by loving parents. Notice it doesn't say angry parents. It doesn't say frustrated parents doesn't say exhausted parents or out-of-control parents supplied by loving parents. It also doesn't say loving grandparents or school administrators or pastors or babysitters. Parents, this is not something you can delegate. Right? It's not something you can pass off to somebody else. This is on you. You can bring others into partnership in it, right? If you have somebody that's close to your, your family and they're involved in the lives of your kid and they want to partner with you in various forms of discipline, that's fine, but ultimately it's still your responsibility. So supplied by loving parents in response to rebellion by a child. Rebellion is willful, defiant behavior. When they know what they're doing, and they're doing it on purpose. Right? Rebellion is not childishness. 
We don't discipline a three-year-old for acting like a three-year-old, okay? That's just where they're at. That's their ability, and that's their maturity at that point in time. We discipline a 12-year-old for acting like a three-year-old, all right? That's when the discipline comes, okay? So it's for rebellion, not for childishness. And we do this, and this is key, to offset the pleasure of sin. Because sin is fun. So we're like, there he is again, being heretical. Like, sin, sin is not fun. Fun is not what, no, the Bible says sin is bad. Yes, sin is bad, but for a season, for a moment, sin is fun. So we're like, well, don't tell my kids that. They already know. That's why they keep doing it, Okay? So sin is fun for a season, but then oftentimes it is followed by sometimes even a lifetime of regret. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you're living with that right now. You're living with some consequences of some sin in your life that you just wish you could have a do-over. You wish you could go back to the 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old version of yourself and fix that. Because that momentary pleasure has led to a lifetime of pain. And so our job as parents is to offset the pleasure of sin with momentary pain in order to rescue our children. Remember, they're not the enemy. Children are POWs, right? They are stuck in the war, and they are captured by the enemy, and we need to rescue their hearts back for the Lord. And so we give them this momentary pain to turn them from sin and turn them towards obedience to God so that they might avoid self-inflicted pain later in this life or maybe even for eternity if they don't ever come to Christ. And so discipline by parents is what leads them away from sin and to the ways of the Lord. Now, little warning before you go do this, okay? Discipline with a child works like a bank account. Right? We, a lot of us have bank accounts. How many of you have ever been overdrawn on your bank account before? Okay? Some of you are like, yeah, right now. Micah, can you help me out? No, okay. So the reason we get overdrawn on our bank account is because we start to make too many withdrawals and we haven't made enough deposits to cover the withdrawals. Everybody tracking that? You're like, oh, that's how it works. Okay, thank you for that. That'll help me in the future. Same thing is true with parenting. If I try to start making too many withdrawals of discipline before I have made deposits of love into the heart of the child... It will not lead to respect. It will lead to resentment. They won't respect you. They will resent you if it's all discipline, withdraw, 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 and there's no love to balance that. And so we have, every time we discipline, we have to make an equal deposit of love into the child so the bank account stays healthy and balanced. You tracking with me? Okay. Loving Discipline, they have to go together. Okay, third, final point today is this. Lovingly discipline like God. We want to model our discipline after him. 
We want to model it after his word. We want to follow what God says about doing discipline with our children. So I want to give you six things. I'm just going to kind of pull from various scriptures to help us kind of zero in on what's it look like to do loving discipline like the Lord. All right, number one, take aim at the heart. Take aim. I thought, Mike, I thought it was supposed to be, I thought it was the bottom, like that little fatty spot down there. I thought that's where you're supposed to aim. No, no, no. That, that's the avenue to the heart, okay? Yes, you need some of that, but that's, that's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate aim is the heart of the child because that's where sin happens. Loving discipline is a heart issue, not just a behavior issue. The reason your child is sinning and disobeying is not because of just the evil around them. It's because of the evil inside of them. That they have hearts that are sinful, and that heart is the controlling center of life for all of us. And so if we want to correct them, if we want to discipline them, we have to get to the heart. Listen to this, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. All right, so what's that mean? When you bring your child home from the hospital, right, you got that little bundle of joy, and you're all, you're so excited, got the new baby, and you're coming home, and as soon as you get home, actually even before you get home, but when you bring them home, that child comes equipped with two tanks, right? One is labeled folly, and it is full, like to the brim, overflowing, full. And the other tank is labeled wisdom, and it is bone dry. And your job as the parent is to figure out how to drain the folly and to fill up the wisdom. But we quickly find out that there's a problem with draining the folly because there is a lock on the tanks. And we can't get access to the tanks in the heart to do the work we need to do. And so what Proverbs 22:15 tells us is that there's a key to the lock on the tanks, and the key is the rod. The rod represents discipline, it represents physical pain in order to bring the child into obedience. And the rod is the key that we use to unlock the tank and drain the folly. Now, folly throughout Proverbs, this idea of foolishness, is describing this, um, this bent, sinful nature that exists inside all of us. Okay, not just kids, all of us as adults, every one of us have this, this bent, sinful side of us that wants to go our own way and against God, and I don't need you, and I got this, and that's exactly what we need saving from. That's exactly why Jesus came, was to help with the folly in our hearts that says that we don't need him. In fact, uh, listen to this. Proverbs 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. In other words, in your children, I know they're cute, I know you love them, and we all love them, and they're beautiful, and yours is definitely the cutest, I know everybody else thinks of that, but yours is, okay, so like, it's all good, but inside that cute little baby of yours is a heart that has an echo chamber inside of it, and there is a voice screaming out, there is no God, and that message is on repeat inside of them. It's leading them to believe that they do not have to live their lives as if God exists at all. In fact, there is no God. That means that I can be God. 
And in their minds, they start to develop this mantra, I am God. This is what your child believes. This is why at 2 a.m., they wake you up. And they're like, come to my room. And you're like, why? You're not hungry. You're not wet. You're not hurt. Why am I here? What is going on? And they're like, I just want to sleep in your bed. And you're like, okay, baby God, please come into your throne room because we just want to sleep. And whatever it takes, just stop the crying. And they're like, yes, I am God. This is the heart of our children. This is what we're up against. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your child is sick with sin. They have the S-I-N virus, right? Which is way worse than the Rona, if you can believe it, right? Like they are sick with sin and the parents are, we're warriors and we are battling against this virus in the heart of our child. And it's a struggle. That's why Hebrews 12, right before we, we start in verse 5, right before that in verse 4, it says, your struggle against sin. Because sin is a struggle. Your kids are struggling with this and our job is to come alongside them and to help them and to walk with them. To discipline them. Mark 7, verse 20, Jesus says this. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And that's quite a list, right? We're like, man, I, I don't want my kid in any of that, right? Like, I, how do I keep my kid from the list? Well, we're going to make rules, right? We're going to come up with lots of rules, like, you know, you don't cheat, and you don't steal, and no envy, and, and no this, and no that, and that's fine, but it's not enough. Because rules simply deal with behavior. Rules don't target the heart. It has to be more than just the rules. Sin, the sinful behavior just reveals that the heart is messed up. That the heart needs help. It's, it's a warning light to us as parents. Like, hey, there's a bigger issue here. There's something deeper that you need to deal with. And we have to press in past the behavior and aim at the heart. If we don't get the heart, if we just get the behavior, we'll just produce a bunch of little self-righteous Pharisees that think they're awesome and better than everybody else, but they'll miss Jesus and they'll miss heaven. Because they don't ever see their need for a Savior. So number one, aim at the heart. Number two, start early, right? Um, I love seeing all the young families and the young parents around our church, and, and we, we see you. Actually, first we hear you, and then we see you. Um, and, and, but we're glad you're here, and we see you, and we love you, and we want to help you. And I, let me just say, I've met a lot of parents, a lot of young parents, that don't start early enough when it comes to discipline. Okay, Michael, well then, how, how early is early? 
when little Johnny understands the word no, it's time. Right? Like just, again, picture this. You're, you're sitting in the living room, right? And Johnny's on the floor and he's, he's playing around and he's doing his thing. And he looks up and he sees on the coffee table your Starbucks cup. And Johnny's intrigued. So he stands up and he toddles over to the coffee table and he looks at the cup. And then he looks at you. And then he looks at the cup. And you say, Johnny, no. Do not touch. Do not touch the cup. No. And he looks at the cup. And he looks at you. And what does he do? He grabs the cup. And he looks back at you like, what are you going to do about it? Right? Who are you to tell me I can't have the cup? I am God. Right? Like, <laughs> this is our children. That right there, that moment, that's when you start. Okay? When they understand the no, when they understand what, the, when, they, when it, it becomes that part of rebellion, that's when you start. And trust me, that starts early. Okay? Now listen, Cordy and I, we have not always done this perfectly by any means. Okay? I never want to claim that. But we were blessed to have some parents around us when we were younger, and we got to learn some things. We got to observe some things from them. We were very thankful for that. And this is one of the things that we learned, was start early. And we started very early with our kids. And because we started early, honestly, by age five, probably 80% of our physical discipline was done. It was over. Not that they didn't still sin, not that they still didn't disobey, they do. But it can be corrected much easier with verbal confrontation or with some other things. We're not having to physically spank anymore. We're not having to, to do as much of that. And when we do, it's very, very infrequent. Because if you start early, they learn disobedience leads to discipline. And discipline is painful, and I don't want that pain. And so they learn to start checking themselves before they step into it um, at an early age. So, number two... Start early. Okay? Number three, expect first-time obedience. What? Are, are you serious right now? Like, you really think you can expect your kid to obey everything you say the first time you say it? Yes. You're like, you can expect it, but it ain't going to happen. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? Again, let me just play out a little scenario here, okay? So let's say, you know, Susie is sitting on the couch. She's got mommy's iPhone. She's watching a show. She's watching Dora or whatever kids watch today. Our kids are older now, but whatever. She's watching her show, and mommy comes up. She says, all right, Susie, love you, sweetie. It's, It's time for bed. I want you to put down mommy's iPhone, run upstairs, put on your pajamas, jump into bed. So she's just got the, she's just, she's just zoned, man. Like, so she's like, well, maybe she, okay, mommy's going to try again. All right, Susie, maybe you didn't hear mommy. I need you to put down the iPhone, go upstairs, and get ready for bed. Susie's just like, not moving. Susie, it's been a really hard day. And I got your siblings over here, and then their father, and like, this home is crazy. Like, I just, if you love mommy at all, please. 
just go up to your room. I'll give you ice cream. I'll take you to Six Flags. I'll buy you anything. Please just go to bed. Susie, watching the iPhone. Susie, that's it. I've had it up to here to you with you. I will kill you. Right? I'm going to count to three. And you better be in that bed. One, two. Susie puts down the phone, runs upstairs, gets in bed. What just happened? Why did that just happen? Because Susie has seen mommy get to three. And it is not good. Right? It is painful. Prior to getting to three, Susie's not in pain. Who's in pain? Mommy's in pain. But Susie's just fine. She's watching Dora. When we parent like this, we train our children that we don't really expect them to obey until we get to three. And it's painful. Not for them, for you. Stop the pain. Stop the carnage. Right? And honestly, it's a really unfair way to parent our children. Because when we parent like that, they never know when the hammer's going to drop. There's no clear expectation. And they're always just kind of like trying to fill you out. Like, are they serious this time? Are they not serious this time? Like, do I need to open? Like, can I wait? Do I? It's not good. We need to expect first-time obedience and train our kids so that it's more pleasant and it's more helpful to us and to them. Okay? Start early, first-time obedience, and then number four, this ties right into number three, is you've got to be consistent. Right? If we're going to expect it the first time, we've got to be consistent. Every time, every day, all day, set up a consistent pattern of discipline. Right? They need to know what the expectations are. They need to be clear. And so I'm going to share, here's our pattern for discipline. This isn't the only way to do it. You need to come up with your own pattern. Right? Every family's a little bit different. Let me give you what we do. Maybe you can tweak it and make it work for you. Okay? So first step for us is go to your room. Right? Because when you discipline, you want to do it in private, not in public as much as possible. Right? Like, Aisle three of Walmart is not the place, okay? Like, like get it to a private location. I mean, there were so many times when our kids were young and Courtney would go grocery shopping, she had to take the kids with her because I was at work or whatever. I can't tell you how many times the cart got left outside the door of the bathroom at Aldi because mom and kid were inside taking care of some discipline, okay? Because we're taking it to a private place. So go to your room, do it in private. Number two, ask questions. Don't come in with accusations. Scripture tells us that questions appeal to the conscience, but accusations harden the will. So come in with questions, right? So we go, ours goes something like this. So, so do you know what you did? I don't know. Okay, did, did, did you see the blood coming from your brother's nose? Right? Do, do you know what you did? Did you hit your brother? Yes. Okay, good. So why did you do that? I don't know. Okay, were you angry? Yes. Okay, good. Why were you angry? Because he stole my toy. Okay? And so you wanted revenge. Yes, he deserved it. Right? 
He took my toy. He deserved it. He always takes my toys. Okay, so you think you didn't get what you deserved. Right? You think that you deserved better than what you got. Okay, good. That's called pride. That's called selfishness. So now we can talk about the heart issue, not just brother's nose. Okay? And this is where we start pressing into our kids with these questions. We get them to see that we don't just need to fix what's broken um, outside of you, like brother's nose. We need to fix what's broken inside of you. The heart, the, the sin issue that's driving this behavior. And so now we can start to have a gospel conversation about the sin in their hearts, right? So then, once you got them to the questions, then you go to use scripture, right? So Pull some scripture out to address whatever the sin issue is. So what does God's word say about this? And some of you are like, Micah, that's where I check out. Like, I don't really know scripture that well yet. Like, I'm still like, figuring that whole thing out. And here's the deal. If you got little kids, you only need one the first five years. One verse. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's all you need, right? That's all you got. Like, first five years, that'll get you through, and then you can start supplementing with some other verses as they start to get a little bit older. You can learn those here in church, all right? We'll help teach you. And, and we bring the scripture in because it takes them back to the Lord and back to his word and not just mommy and daddy. They need to understand when you disobey, you're not just breaking daddy's laws, you're breaking God's law, right? And you're accountable to him. And this is a sin against God, not just your parents, and this is why you need a Savior. This is why you need the gospel. This is why you need to be forgiven. We talk to them about what that means and what that looks like. And the sin is a perfect opportunity to lead them to why they can't be perfect. Right? You can ask them, why do you think you have such a problem obeying all the time? I don't know. It's because your sin is, your heart is sick with sin. And Jesus can help you with that. Maybe we should pray about that right now. Maybe we should ask Jesus to forgive you and to help you change your heart so this doesn't keep happening. So now my discipline has become a gospel moment with my kid. So be consistent. Oh, and then the last step for us is administer the pain. <laughs> so like, once we went through all that, you still got to do the discipline. They don't get off the hook, right? Like, so you have to administer the pain, and then right after the pain comes, then you reconcile the relationship, right? You bring them back in, you give them a hug, you give them a kiss, you... Uh, Daddy loves you, and, and you, you get it back to a good place because the discipline's over now, right? It's a start, stop, it's over. We're moving on with the relationship. Okay, so be consistent in your discipline. Figure out what your pattern is. Maybe it's not that. Maybe you need to do something different, but figure out your pattern so your child knows what it's going to look like. And then number five, this goes along with the, the pain part, use a biblical instrument. Use a biblical instrument. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We've all seen those mothers at the mall, right? Child is out of control and they are just covered in shame. And we're like, oh, bless her heart. And the reason she's covered in shame is because she doesn't know the first part of the verse. Right? That we need rod and reproof. We need both. One alone is not enough. The rod by itself, just discipline, just the pain is not enough. It's not some magic formula that's going to transform your kid. You also need reproof. You need correction. You need teaching, verbal instruction. Right? But that alone is not enough either. You can't just talk. You've got to have both. 
the rod and reproof bring wisdom to the child's heart. So what is this mystical rod? What are we talking about when we say the rod? Well, interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't actually spell it out for us. It doesn't ever describe what the rod is or what it should look like. But we can figure out what the rod is not, which I think is really helpful in maybe kind of narrowing it down. So first of all, um, is this a rod? Does that look like a rod? Not a trick question. Is that a rod? No, that's a hand. Right? And the reason the Bible says use a rod and not your hand is because the rod can be separated from you. Right? So when you administer discipline with a rod, then the child comes to associate the pain of discipline with the instrument and not with the parent. All right? So we use a rod, not our hand. Um, the rod is also not a club. All right? There's a di very different word for that in Scripture. Um, it's not whatever's closest to you that you can just grab in the moment. The rod is a dedicated instrument that you have set aside that your child knows that's for discipline. So they know when that comes out, what's happening. Okay? Now, when you think about rod, just think about it in your head, maybe just close your eyes, what do you picture? Like, let's just be simple. What do you picture? I, I picture like a small wooden stick. Anybody else got that? Small, like small wooden stick, right? Is that kind of, like maybe a small, maybe something that's so small that if you happen to over-apply it, it breaks the stick and not the kid? Fair enough, right? And so, a rod is something that provides a temporary sting. It's not meant to draw blood. It's not meant to leave a bruise. It's not meant to break anything. And this is precisely why some of you have no category for this type of discipline. It's because when your parents disciplined with the rod, it wasn't a rod. It was something else. And it was done in anger and it was done in fury, and it was not actually discipline at all. It was abuse. And so now for you, you don't have a category of how to discipline with a rod that's not abuse in your mind. But there is a way. There's a way to do it where you're not angry, where you're using a dedicated instrument that's for this purpose, that's under control, that's temporary, pain, that's measured pain, right? And if you're a parent and you can't do that, if you can't use a rod measured, unangry, lovingly, then stop. Stop doing the physical discipline. If you can't do it under control, stop and find some other form of discipline. Because beating children is not discipline. It's abuse. And that's not what the Bible's talking about. Okay? So a rod is a temporary small um, pain that's being used to discipline. And listen, as your kids start to get older, the simple rod doesn't really work so much anymore. Okay? In fact, if you're still trying to use it as they start to get older, probably need to have another conversation about discipline, all right? Because that's not what we're going to do. We need to start finding other rods that are helpful, that are effective, like, you know, for our girls, it's been things like, no, no dessert tonight for you after dinner. Uh, that's a good discipline for them. They love dessert like their daddy. Um, and so, or maybe it's, you know, no screen time for you today. No car this weekend, right? Take the phone away. Whoa, take the phone away. Like, it's their phone. No, it's not. They live in your house. It's your phone. <laughs> All right? 
take it away. These are other forms of rod. This, uh, over the little winter spike we had a couple weeks ago, we made snow ice cream one night in our house. When we had one child that was under discipline, they didn't get any snow ice cream like the rest of the family. You're like, wow, that's, now you talk about abuse, like you're taking away snow. Like, it's discipline, okay? It's discipline. Find a rod, make it work. Use a biblical instrument. Number six, last thing. Before you start doing it right, seek forgiveness for doing it wrong. Now, some of you are like, yes, finally, the rod, I got it, Micah. I'm so glad we came to church today. We're going to go home, we're going to find a kid, we're going to find a rod, and we're going to have revival in our house today. Like, this is it. Good, but, like, hold the horses for just a second, okay? Maybe wait for just a moment here. First thing you need to do is to sit down with your children and have a conversation. Say, hey, you know what? Daddy got a spanking today from God. And Daddy understands now that, that I haven't been a good daddy to you and I haven't been disciplining you the way I should and I apologize for that. Will you please forgive Daddy for doing it wrong? And your children will say, yes, Daddy. Oh, yeah, we forgive you. Okay, good. Now, I just want you to know that moving forward, things are going to be different in our house. We're going to do this differently, right? And, and when you disobey, there's going to be discipline. And this is what the discipline is going to look like, right? We're going to expect you to obey the first time. We're going to, um, we're going to have this pattern where when you disobey, I'm going to, you're going to go to your room, and we're going to do this, and, we're going to, and, and, and here's, the, here's the instrument, here's the rod we're going to use when it comes time to discipline. Like, lay it all out for them so they know, like, here's the expectation. Here's what you can expect from me as a parent moving forward. And then once you're all on the same page, then start to work the plan. And aim for the heart. Have those conversations. And I promise you, your children will be blessed because of it. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to read one more verse, but go ahead and stand up. Proverbs 29, 17 says this. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Does that describe current relationship that you have with your kids? Is that what you're experiencing in your home? Are you experiencing rest and delight because of the disciplinary relationship that you have with your children? If it's not, it can be. By the truth of God's word and by the, the commitment of your heart with the Holy Spirit, you can be experiencing exactly what it says here. Loving parents provide loving discipline. So we're not going to sing today. We're just going to pray to end here. And I just want to pray two things together. You can pray this over yourself. You can pray this over others around. If you're not a parent, maybe look, look around you. Somebody you know here who it is and pray for them over this right now. Let's pray right now that God would teach us how to better lovingly discipline our children their good, for 
his glory. We can always do it better. There are no perfect parents here today. Your parents weren't perfect. You're not perfect. Your kids won't be perfect when they're parents. Let's just, let's just get rid of that myth that there are any perfect parents in the world. But there can be parents who are submitted to the Lord and that God is working in them and through them to lovingly discipline and raise up their children. So let's pray for that. And then number two, let's pray for some much needed rest and delight for some parents here today. Right, that we would be able to find what God promises to us as we walk in obedience to his word when it comes to discipline. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time together today to worship, just to be in your presence, God, just to, to hear from your word. Father, thank you for disciplining us when we need it. Lord, thank you for being a loving father who doesn't just leave us on our own, Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to call us your children and to lead us back to your heart, even when it hurts. Guys, pray right now a special prayer over all the parents here today in person, those who are watching online. Lord, help us to lovingly discipline our kids for your glory. Lord, for the good of your name, for the good of your kingdom. And God, when we fail, because we will, Lord, when we fail, cover us with the gospel of grace and lead us back to you. Lord, we are asking you, we are trusting you to build the house. Lord, build our house in us, build it through us. God, for any of us here today who are missing your discipline, Lord, if we have any here that are not currently experiencing the discipline of the Lord in their lives or have, I pray, Lord, that right now you would call their hearts to Jesus. Lord, that you would call them to become your children. That you would turn their hearts away from sin and to the great forgiveness and the great change that we have in you. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We pray all this in Christ's name.